0: it's not always the big things that change the world it's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place so every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way welcome to doing
1: good with carmen herbert
0: hi everyone this is carmen herbert and welcome to doing good i am so excited to have on the podcast today, Dr. David Morgan. He is a graduate of Brigham Young University with a doctorate in counseling psychology. He's worked as a psychologist in private practice for almost 20 years. Nearly 30 years ago, he married his best friend and they have six children together. In addition to two daughters-in-law and three grandchildren. Dr. Morgan is the author of four books on gospel and mental health topics. He's a regular presenter with Onward Productions and a contributing author to LDS Living Magazine. He is convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ holds multiple keys to resolving mental health issues. He currently serves as elders quorum president, but his favorite calling was seminary teacher. Favorite hobby is going to Disneyland, mine too, and he has been over 100 times. Dr. Morgan, David, welcome (laughs) to the podcast. Okay, is this like over your lifetime or since you've been a daddy? You've been...
1: So, the Disneyland? Yes. Yeah, that's that's been lifetime. And that's not like, that's like counting individual visits. So, if we went like one time for three days... Then that would be like that would count as three times. So I'm yeah. kind of padding the stats a little bit there just to get over that hundred mark because it you know it sounds more dramatic than and has been more than twenty times you know All hundred right. times. But if you're that's, there you know, for five that's...
0: days, I mean each day counts. Each day is a new experience at Disneyland. Totally. I I don't think honestly like when people are like ah I don't get it or I I've never really been. I don't understand those people at all. Like Disneyland (laughs) truly is like, I feel like the spirit is there. Like it is such (laughs) a wonderful, beautiful place. And when it shut down because of COVID, like Mm. it was heartbreaking. Like we went every year growing up as a family. I have so many memories there with my family and now with my own children, it's just such an incredible place. So what started your fascination or your love of Disney?
1: So when so I grew up in California, and when my from about fifth grade on, I was in Bakersfield or in Bakersfield, which is about two hours north of Los Angeles. And so we started taking these annual trips to Disneyland back when it was affordable. My people ask me when's the best time to go to Disneyland. I can say I can tell you exactly the best time to go to Disneyland, 1983. I was going to say three years ago. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That was the best time to go because it wasn't crowded. And, and so I just remember going there every year and having these great experiences and then went off to college and went a few times in college. And then when we got married, my wife, Kristen, she was kind of a fan as well, although she'd only been a couple of times in her life. And we thought, well, we can do this. And so we we started taking our kids when they're little. I have this great picture of our two oldest, Jordan and Carter, and they are probably four and two. And we're sitting at the Riverbell Terrace, which is a restaurant in oh, Wellings yeah. Square.
0: Yep, I know. And exactly.
1: it used and back in the day, you used to be able to watch Fantasmic from there without a reservation or anything. And so we would go and after the first Fantasmic performance, and everyone left, we'd rush in. And so we got these nice seats right there. And they and there's these two pictures of our the pictures of our sons coloring as as we're waiting for Fantasmic to start. And so just over the years, we've gone, you know, once or twice a year. And so it's just been this. You know major family tradition my second oldest son uh ended up getting a job as a software engineer for uh disney and orlando
0: oh and so fun. we've been
1: to walt disney world a few times to see them i still like disneyland better Me than too. walt disney world I, I i like them different in different ways but if i had to choose one i would choose disneyland and then my brother is uh a mechanical engineer and he's an imagineer at disneyland and he has worked in sh- at shanghai disneyland and if you've been on the new Rise of the Resistance oh. ride, which is the new Star Wars one. Honestly,
0: um, the best ride I think I have ever, ever been on. Ever. 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 Like, it, so, it, it blew yeah, my yeah. mind. And <laughs> I thought, like, just the first part was the ride. And we're like, oh, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that's neat. And then you get out and they're like, follow us. And you're like, wait, it's like it's like a play. It's like a play. Yeah. And you, but you, and you're in it. But and it's you're the, the protagonist. Ride. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. Honestly, I was like unbelievable, unbelievable. It was the coolest. So, your brother, what did he do so, for that right?
1: Well, he. So, if you were to think about this as a um, as a stake, and the way as a stake is organized, the person who was in charge of the ride is the stake president, and my brother was one of the bishops so one of the few people who had like major responsibility oh, in terms of and he's on the, the mechanical end so if you don't die on a ride that he has helped then that's because of him but because that sure like it's the safe.
0: mechanics of the ride like oh, it's insane it, it's you're you're backwards forwards you're 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 yeah. dropping you're like it, it's unlike anything and you have to get in line though. You have to get in the lottery to, to get on this ride because
1: totally, it, yeah.
0: it is impossible. And we were lucky enough that when we went there, we were totally spoiled. My father-in-law was still the governor, Governor Herbert and the governor of California, but the mayor too, they said, we want to invite you and your family to oh, come wow. to Disneyland. <laughs> and we got like this VIP experience or to Disney world. I'm sorry. The VIP experience. And they were able to get us all thirty of us tickets in the morning oh, to the Rise of the resistance. and we were, and it was just our family because there's thirty of us. You could you have to go in groups, you know. Right. So it was just us, nobody else, and it was we honest. All of us, we just kept saying, "No way, no way, no way!" Like it was so cool. <laughs> anyway, we could we could probably spend a whole podcast. Talking about Disneyland. Uh, I uh, am-
1: absolutely. That's so when you went to Disney World, did you have one of the people on plaid? Were they the did you have yes. like the guide?
0: Yes. Yeah. So
1: that's my that's like my career goal is to be a plaid oh. at Disneyland. Um and I'll I'll never be able to do it because you kinda of have to start, you know, hawking churros and then working your way up.
0: Oh really? Um, be a private yeah. Car, yeah. Right?
1: It, it's it's a total hierarchy. You can't just come in and say, Hey, I know a lot about Disneyland. You have to work your way up. So oh. I, I figure I'll either do like unauthorized tours on the download so I don't get kicked out or just on the, on, you know, like, like if I, you know, get diagnosed with some terminal illness on the last time I go to Disneyland, I'll just put on some plaid and just, oh, people and say, <laughs> you could
0: and be a say oh, I, I did plaid. it anyway.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I make a wish. I'll you say, I just make-a-wish. want to be a plaid for one day.
0: <laughs> be the man in plaid for a day. Oh, it was, yeah. it, it was so cool. And they were, that's Disney just does it so well. They just know yeah. how to make the experience truly magical and they don't break character like are you part of the mm-hmm. resistance and we'd be like oh yeah we're just here with our family and they'd be like what family you know what like they were, yeah, exactly oh we are here <laughs> like we're, we're gonna fight darth vader and even to the adults and we're like ha! and they're looking at us like this is not a joke like right. they all stay in total character <laughs> and it was so cool so awesome awesome okay so let's get back to your amazing life's goal, which is to incorporate gospel principles and and values and doctrine and teaching into helping people with mental health issues. Mm -hmm. So my dad is a psychiatrist. And so he's more the medical side,
1: medicine, yeah,
0: of the, of things, yes, and and in the hospital. So, as a psychologist, when did you start, or or had you always to make the connection between what we learn in the gospel and how that can actually help people that are dealing with depression, anxiety, bipolar, all of really? those things? Like, when did you start to say, wait a minute, there's a connection here that can help people?
1: So. It, interestingly, I, I wanted—I thought I wanted to be a psychiatrist when I first started, and and kind of two things dissuaded me from that. Number one, when I was a missionary in Mexico, one of my companions were playing basketball, and he got hit, and he had a his lip lip got cut, and so I took him to the doctor, and they're stitching his lip up, and I almost pass out by just watching them do this thing, and so I'm thinking, okay, medical school—that school. <laughs> might be a bad idea. So then yep. I got back got back to BYU and got into, I was still in pre-med and I got into biology 200. One of the first classes you take for pre-med, but also one of the classes where they said, if these people aren't serious, then they're not going to you know, have the guts to stay in this class because it was super hard. Yeah. And I, I remember just being completely overwhelmed by that class and, and I dropped it and I was like, well, I'm not going to go to medical school. So I'll be a psychologist. And which, in in hindsight, has been wonderful. I blessed the day that biology 200 just completely kicked my hind end because that was that was needful.
0: Oh, there's uh, a right path for everyone, and exactly. a right thing for everyone. It's true. And, and you yeah. don't and
1: you don't know until you look back. But that's yeah. what happened. So then I thought I was I thought I wanted to teach and uh, be a professor, and I especially wanted to be a professor at BYU. So in order to uh, teach at BYU, as with most universities, you shouldn't get all your education at that university and then teach there as well. They want you to be diversified. Yeah. So I tried to get my master's somewhere else. I applied to about five different master's programs, got accepted to University of Utah and BYU. And I said, well, I'll stay with BYU, but I'll definitely go someplace different for my doctorate. Applied to 13 doctoral programs, got accepted to two, uh, BYU and University of North Dakota. And I think the Lord was just throwing me a bone on North Dakota because He was like, oh, "We'll give him something." But I did not want to go to North Dakota. Oh. I, you know, ra- raised on the West Coast, I was like, oh, "No, I don't yeah. want to live in North Dakota." <laughs> and so, I was an alternate at University of Oregon and University of Minnesota, which are great programs but very secular uh, in terms of their teachings. And I would have gone there in a second had I been accepted. Yeah. But I wasn't, and so I ended up at BYU, and. So here I am in their doctoral program, their counseling psych program, and my teachers are former bishops and former stake presidents and, you know, and licensed psychologists. And so everything we talked about, there was always a gospel application to it.
0: Awesome. Um,
1: and, you know, we, we'd start classes with prayer or we would, you know, they'd bear their testimony about certain things. And so what i realize now is that i was never meant to be a professor i was meant to to be a psychologist kind of boots on the ground i've i've interviewed and assessed like probably more than 10,000 people in my career and so i've been able to see so much of mental health issues and um and how they affect people but then also see the gospel application to it every time i read my scriptures i think that's that's a recipe for anxiety management, or that's how you can manage depression, or that's how you can improve relationships. I'm teaching at Education Week this fall and doing a, a four-day class on anxiety management using gospel principles. And so, and as I'm putting the PowerPoint together, it's just everything that I everything I hear from the prophets, other leaders of the church, I'm always hearing that kind of mental health application to it. So that's kind of how it right. got started. And then it's just Blossomed over the years as my gospel understanding has increased, and then my understanding of psychology has increased. I just see more um, places where they intersect.
0: Do you teach child through adult, or do you focus more on teen, adolescent, or what's the age group?
1: So most, so most of my clients right now are adults and some adolescents. I never really worked with children, and. I see and the need is everywhere. I think if we could intervene, especially at the adolescent level, I think we could do we, we could do a lot of good. The problem is you've got 40 year olds that are still kind of stuck at 13 emotionally. And that's and so adults need just as much help. Well, and I guess if we have healthy adults, then they're gonna raise healthy kids too. So we, we just need intervention right. everywhere. But but right. parents parents are struggling so much with mental health, health issues themselves. And then it's like, well, how do you expect them to help their children manage this thing that they haven't been able to manage for decades? And so we really, it's something that I'm glad we're talking about more. And I'm glad that like the stigma of mental health is, is slowly decreasing where it's not, you know, this thing that we don't talk about, but we, but we need to get people out there and, and have them get the right kind of help they need.
0: It does seem like there's been more of an awareness to mental health and mental health issues that that people are talking about it more. Do you feel like it's almost – and I hate to use this word, but trendy for people to yeah. say, I have anxiety – do you feel like it's almost a cop-out sometimes for people to, I can't do that. It makes me anxious. That's too hard for me. I'm depressed right now because as, as a daughter of a psychiatrist, I know that clinical depression, it's, it's a medical illness. Like it, there's actually a physical and chemical things that happen in your brain. It can be seasonal. It can be situational, but it also can be, it, it can be inherited, you know? I mean, you can, right. you can have, it It comes in families. Like you can have clinical diagnosed depression. That's, that's, that's a different thing than someone like, oh, but I, I get anxious when I do that. So does it right. bother you when people are like, well, I just have anxiety. Or do you feel like it's kind of become like, a, a, like a new thing for people to say, well, I think I have that too.
1: So I think what, what's happened is we've gone from like, you know, like 50 years ago where you didn't talk about it at all. And then, and then we kind of moved into, I don't know, like like twenty years ago, where we you'd kind of talk about it and you could go to counseling and that wasn't extremely shameful, but you didn't really mention it to people. You know, if we'd had social media back then, you wouldn't have mentioned that you'd just come from your visit with your psychiatrist or psychologist.
0: Oh no, um, never.
1: And yeah, exactly. And now, I think we've swung a little too far to the other way. And I like that people are acknowledging that. I don't have any problem with that. of people, you know, kind of opening up and saying, hey, I've got issues with anxiety or issues with depression because we get a little, um, uh, that, that burden can be shared with other people in a good way. You know, they can help us. And if we suffer in silence, then it's no good. The way I think it goes too far is kind of what you were referencing where you say, I have anxiety, therefore I can't do this. Or I have depression, therefore I can't do this. I don't like that. Um, I think that's contrary to the gospel, where we are—we're supposed to be the actors in our lives. We have agency, and we are supposed to be—we are supposed to act and not to be acted upon. And that was the point of the gift of agency. And so when we start saying that we have conditions that we are just acted upon and we are no longer actors in our lives i think that kind of takes us out of the role that heavenly father wants us to be in so i'm not suggesting that with you know with just a simple change of mind and change of heart that you can all of a sudden tomorrow not be depressed or anxious what yeah. i am suggesting is that you need to do something every day that helps you get over this and so, so and and that and that's different for everyone but when we just throw up our hands and say there's nothing i can do right. then i can tell you exactly where you're going to be 5 years from now
0: So, and, and that's something that everyone has a different way of responding to stress and overwhelm me. I, I go in a hole. And so if I'm have extreme overwhelm or, or stress or life is just caving in on me, I literally want to get in bed and, and sleep. Like that is my coping. I, I feel like I'm frozen and sometimes my husband has come in and like literally literally taken me and lifted me out and saying, let's go. And like, especially as a young mom with new babies and, and, and young children and feeling like everything needs to be done and everyone needs something and I can't. And so then I shut down. And so, and, and that's been so hard and that's been a trial in my life. I'm, I'm not inherently lazy, but, and, and, and I don't quit, but I stall. And and right. I and I freeze and I think I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I can't do anything. So how do we get past that? What would you say to someone that is dealing with with anxiety or or obsessive compulsive or or depression? How do we apply gospel principles to be like, no, like buck up? You can't freeze. You can't give up. You can't say too much for me. How do we get past that and and say, okay, you're right, like Wake up, like shake off the dust, you guys, you know, like the scripture, come on, you can do it because sometimes I think I can't.
1: Right. I think that the, so a lot of times what happens with our, so our emotions are always a byproduct of our thoughts, that that's how emotions start, it starts in our thinking. And so if you believe things that are untrue, then that's going to lead to emotions that I guess aren't necessarily They're always genuine, but they're probably more distressing than they have to be. So if you, so on those days when you're in your bed and, you know, cause you, you've just been completely overwhelmed and your thoughts are, I cannot do this today. Well, of course that's going to lead to feelings of overwhelm because if the belief is you can't do it, then why would you even try? And the best you can do is just lay in bed. But if that belief is today is super difficult and I'm probably not going to be able to do 90% of the things that I usually do today, but I can do about 10% today that's a different belief. And, and that's, that's pr- probably not going to get you up and running a half marathon, you know, and it's like, Ooh, I feel fantastic, but it's going to get you able to do something. And so.
0: How do you so have having, okay- having
1: those correct beliefs is what's critical.
0: And, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but that just, oh, it, I wanted to ask, how do you be okay with the 10%? Because that's also something that I feel like if I can't do everything I, I wanted to and set out to do, then, then it doesn't make sense. Why do no. anything like that doesn't make sense. It's like, well, why wouldn't you at least do some things instead of, cause then you have, you will have done some things instead of nothing. Don't you want to be proud of doing something? But I think I have to do it all. I have to do it all or like, it doesn't count. So how right. do you be okay with be with the 10% and say, this was my effort today. Instead of I failed at everything else. I failed at the 90 and be right. okay with the 10
1: which I just want to stop and and invite our listeners to Carmen's therapy session today so just uh, as we Now you know my secret. I'm, gonna, I'm like that's I right. have,
0: I'm like a listener had yeah. problems with That's this. right. That's right. Uh, what someone I'm asking I asking for, for a friend. Yeah. Person, a
1: friend.
0: What would you
1: no, I am just giving you a hard time. So no it's a great it's a great question and it, again it goes back to those thoughts. So if you have have a belief that that it's got to be everything or nothing, And yeah. that's going to cause your problems as well. And so you have to change that belief. You have to say, it's okay to only do a portion at times. You know, yeah. Messiah, Messiah 4.27, it is not requisite that a man run faster than he have strength, you know? And I think what that means, in some days your strength is depleted. There's this idea yeah. of, we think of capital, you know, we think of like financial capital and and physical capital. There's emotional capital as well and it's just that idea of how much emotional strength that you have on any given day it is not limitless it, it, it is not you know you know 100% replenishable every single day it varies from day to day on how much emotional capital you have and and for whatever reason like we don't think that we could just go buy everything we want And there's money and money's just going to keep pouring into our accounts so we can buy whatever good things we want. We say, oh, no, that makes sense. I have to budget. Here's how much money I have. And so I can buy this and this and this, but I can't buy this and this and this. But when it comes to like our lives, we think, well, I can do everything. I can do everything I want all the time, even with four kids, even when I'm sick. Even when my husband's stressed out, I can do all of that all the time, and I'm sure that emotional strength will just keep pouring into my emotional bank account as I keep writing these checks and spending and spending and spending. And it doesn't work that way. Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna run out, and so every day you kind of have to look at that and you have to say, okay, well, what's what's my level of strength today? And sometimes it's awesome, and and it's and, and you can do a ton of stuff. Listeners don't know about this, but I'll. I'll spill the beans. Carmen's been sick for the last uh, week or so. She caught some bug in the whole family. And so they've been, they've been down yep. on those days when you're sick, you don't have as much emotional capital. There's not as much you can do.
0: So And true. so,
1: and, and, and you say, well, that's okay. Cause I'm sick. Well, there's going to be days when you feel fine physically, but you don't feel fine emotionally. You're stressed out or you're feeling down, something happened. And so you say, okay, here's my emotional budget. Here's how much money I have in my emotional account. What things can I get done today? And so you have to avoid those extremes. It's not like you can do everything. And it's not like on the other side, we we're talking about, well, I have limited emotional availability today, so I can't do anything. Well, that's yes. not true either. You right. can do something. You just can't do maybe as much as you could do on a day when you happen to be particularly strong. So you have to really look at those thoughts and you have to say, is this true? And if that thought is untrue, then you have to create a more a more true version of that thought. And replace it, and so if you're stuck in this, it's got to be all or nothing. Well, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It, it 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 never has, and it never will be. You'll never be able to do it all. You can do a lot, but you can't do it all. It's the curse of competence that I say when you have these people who are just really good at things. Yes. At some and they and everything they do, they just keep succeeding at.
0: Yeah. And they do it and
1: they do it and they do it and they do it. And it's like, this is great. I can do all these things until someday they hit the wall and hitting that wall is the best experience you're ever going to have in your life because you're going to go, I can't do it all. Yes. I need help. Heavenly father. I need help. Spouse. I need help. Friend, mom, dad. I need help. Counselor. I need help. Psychiatrist. I need help. Whoever it is. And people that are blessed with a lot of talents and abilities takes them a long time to hit that wall. Yeah. Um, but I, I love when they hit it because it's it's a traumatic experience, but it's so good for the rest of their lives.
0: Well, and for me, it's interesting. You talk about getting sick. That's what my body does. I mm-hmm. will get sick. It, it, it doesn't matter. Like I'll be on a roll and doing things and yeah, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, I'm super stressed and oh, I kind of want to quit, but that's okay. And then I will, my body will say, okay and literally shut (laughs) me down. And that's when I think I watch everything pile up around me helplessly, the laundry and the dishes, and my kids want to play with me, and my husband's off officiating baptisms and and at work, and I'm literally in bed. Like, I can't do anything. And it's so hard. And then as the day goes on or the the next couple days, then I think, well, now I'm so behind. Why even try? Yes. So so then if – if it starts with our thoughts, how do we change the that negative narrative? I can't, too much. I'm not going to do it. No. To the positive, like I can do some things. And how, where do you think heavenly, so I guess there's two parts to this question. How do we change the narrative in our minds? And where do you think heavenly father comes into play? How much can we ask him for when it comes to our mental health? Like just give me strength mm-hmm. to get through the day or give me strength to talk to someone that will help me or c- can thou literally give me thy power and right. heavenly strength to, to I I need literal angels to buoy me up today. What do you think is appropriate to ask heavenly father for?
1: So yeah, I'll answer the second part of that question first. I think you can ask heavenly father for anything. He, he, in his wisdom, he will decide whether you, you know, you should have it at that moment or not. But I, I think, you know, why not go for the brass ring, ask him for whatever you want and just say, hey, th- this is this is what I want. And if it happens, great. And if it doesn't, then that's thy will. Most of the time when we ask. So when it comes to mental health issues, a lot of us would just say, hey, can you just take away my anxiety? You know, just just make it gone. Take away my depression. Just make it gone. I think Heavenly Father takes no pleasure in seeing us miserable and seeing us struggle. But he also understands the value of the struggle. A few years ago, Elder Bednar gave a talk in General Conference where he talked about burdens, and he told the story of a man who wants to buy a four-wheel drive truck, and he talks to his wife, and she's like, there's no way we don't have the money. And he's like, oh, but I could use it to get like milk and bread when it snows. And she's like, we won't have money for milk and bread when it snows if we buy a four-wheel drive truck. Eventually, through their counsel, they're able to decide that uh, they get it. So he buys it, takes it up into the woods to cut wood and promptly gets stuck in the snow and he, and he's, and he's like super embarrassed. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I have to tell my wife that I made this terrible decision. And so he just says, well, I may as well cut the wood since I'm up here anyway. And so he starts cutting the wood, loading his truck with the wood. Then he gets in this truck and finds that because the truck is now probably, you know, 500,000 pounds heavier, he's able to back out of his situation, is able to keep going. And Elder Bednar says, it's the burden that we bear that provides us the traction to be able to move forward. So when you pray to Heavenly Father and say, relieve my anxiety, relieve my depression, he's like, so you want me to take all the wood out of the back of your truck? um, So you're stuck in the snow again? He's like, no, I won't do that, but I will help you. I'll, I'll help you here and there. So I think It kind of depends on the nature of the burden. Some of our burdens, I think, are kind of like our signature burdens, things that we need to bear in life that are gonna help us grow. And I don't think he's gonna remove those. There might be other things that are kind of maybe a little more temporary. And he's like, well, sure, I'll help you out with that because that's not really critical to your eternal progression. But this this main thing that you have to deal with is something that, um, that I need you to stay with. So then when we talk about changing those thoughts, there's another great scripture in, in Jacob chapter five. So this is the Allegory of the Vineyard, which longest chapter in the Book of Mormon and usually totally confusing for everyone. And there's like all these, you know, amazing charts you can see that show everything grafting here and dunging here and pruning there. And at the very end of the chapter, when they're, they're kind of at the end days, and the servant and the Lord, they've gone to this tree that they've been nurturing, and it's full of good and evil fruit. And so the, the, the servant says, so we just take all the evil branches off and graft in the good ones. He says, no, because if we do that, then the tree won't be strong enough. It'll lose its strength and it, the root will fail. He says, so I want you to put in some more good ones, and then I want you to take out the bad according as the good will grow. So he says, as the good gets stronger, remove some more bad, then put in a little more good, then remove some more bad. So don't just wipe it out all at once. And to me, I think that's a recipe for how our thoughts work. So let's say you've got depression and you just got all these negative thoughts like this narrative you talked about. I'm no good, I'm worthless. I'll never do anything right. People don't like me. You roll those thoughts around in your head a thousand times a day. I don't care what your brain looked like on a PET scan, you know, a year ago. If you do that every day for a year, your brain's going to look different. Um, yeah. That we, we can change our brain chemistry. It's not like being born with a you know with a, you know a, an, or having a leg amputated and you can't grow it back. You can change the way your brain acts through the way you think. You can do it through medicine. You can do it the way through the way you think as well. So I would suggest if someone had you know those thoughts, and they list their ten top negative thoughts, they maybe pick one of them and say, okay, and all of those thoughts are going to be untrue if they really think about it. So what's the true version of this thought? So the thought that I'm worthless. Well, no, that's not true at all. And the scriptures have countless evidences that not only are you not worthless, you are completely worthwhile. You know, your heavenly father gave his only begotten son, watched him suffer, bleed and die and be brutalized on the cross for you. So, I mean, that's just one evidence of your eternal, immense worth. And so if you can just take that thought and say, okay, when I tell myself I'm worthless, I'm going to say, no, wait, that is not true. I I am, I am valuable. I'm, I'm at least valuable to my heavenly father. And, and you repeat that, you know, and then over time, you might start working away at some of those other thoughts until pretty soon, you know, you've got most of those thoughts weeded out and now you've got this tree that has a bunch of good fruit growing on it.
0: I love that analogy and and I love that scripture reference. I've never thought of it, you know, in relation to mental health, but I can see how reading the scriptures, there can be so many applicable scriptures to your mental health and, 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 I mean, the scriptures, you're supposed to relate them to your life. Right. So that is a beautiful example of the good thoughts and bad thoughts. And I'm so glad you mentioned cha- changing the narrative that it is possible to rewire your brain yeah. and your, your brain. It's been proven that you can create new pathways. Like you, it's possible. Totally. It's hard sometimes, but it is possible. And, and you mentioned, you know, through medication or through thought process, I think again, as as a daughter from someone with the medical side, I, I, I totally believe it and agree that medication has its place and its time. And I've used it before when I needed it, postpartum depression and a lot mm-hmm. of other things and times in my life. But also times when I'm like, if I exercise and eat right and read my scriptures, I get outside and see the sunshine, that also helps. And yeah. so there are other things. And I think that sometimes we overlook that very powerful tool of our of thinking of our thoughts because my mom would always tell us, as a man thinketh, so is he. And we would get so bugged <laughs> growing up because we'd be like, I suck at this. I'm so bad. And she'd be like, oh. But on the other hand, we'd be like, I'm amazing. I'm so awesome. People want to be my friend. And she would say that, I'm so glad you got invited to that dance. I knew you would be. And we'd be like, mom. And she's like, aren't you so glad that you got asked to that dance? And she would act as if. And I am not kidding you. Every time my mom would do that, it would happen. And But we had to believe it too and think it yeah. too. And she taught us from a young age. My dad taught us from the doctor medical, like I'm here for you and here's what we do. And, 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 and then my mom was very much more of that positive thought facilitator of you can truly make any kind of life for yourself depending on how you think. And sometimes even now I'll call my mom and be like, I need you. I need you to to think for me because it's hard to think that for myself right now. And I need you to think for me. So David, tell us a few more of your very favorite scriptures to help people that are maybe struggling right now with mental health issues.
1: So one of my favorites is uh, Doctrine and Covenants 636, and it's the Savior speaking, and he says, Look unto me in every thought, doubt not, fear not. Um, I love that scripture because it suggests a, a sequence of behavior. He says, Look unto me in every thought first, then doubt not, then fear not. And those are commandments there. There's a there's a amazing devotional by uh, Elder Corbridge, Lawrence Corbridge. He did a um, it was at BYU in 2018. It's called Stand Forever, and it like rocketed into like my top three of favorite you know general authority talks ever. At the end of his talk, he said he says I've heard people say it's okay to doubt. He says I wonder about that. He says the Lord said, Look unto me in every thought, doubt not, fear not. He says I have a lot of questions. He says, "I don't have any doubts," and 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 I think there's a difference. And, and I'm not I suggesting totally if, if you have doubts, that's totally fine. You know, it's um, but I think the Lord is asking us not to doubt. He's saying, I, "Ask all the ask all the questions you want, but have faith in me and trust in me." So that it. recipe of looking to the Lord first, President Nelson said. He says, "Looking to the Lord in every thought is mentally rigorous," and and I think he does that. I think President Nelson. I think his whole life is just like focused on the savior yeah. and, and every thought that he has is somehow related to the Lord and that. And I don't think he just was blessed with that. When, when the Quorum of the 12 laid their hands on his head and, and uh, set him apart as the president of the church, I think he's practiced that for 90 years. Well, and if you you've read
0: his book insights, you would know that that is absolutely true. Yeah,
1: He has. Yeah, yes. exactly. And, and that's how, so, we need to practice that as well. We think, well, how come I don't have as much spirituality as President Nelson? Well, because we didn't put in the work, you know? How come I don't have as much, you know, uh, success as Dr. Herbert did? Well, because he went to undergraduate and medical school and residency and and all those sorts of things and then established a great career. Those, um, we have to put in the work to do that. Yes. Uh, and, and and I love that. Let's see, another scripture that is, oh, I, I guess, uh, so Second Nephi 2.11 Lehi is talking to his son, Jacob, and he says how there must needs be opposition in all things. And I think we so often we just want the life of ease. We say, Heavenly Father, just take away all my burdens, take the load out of the back of my truck. And and let me just kind of coast through life. Elder Holland talked about that on on my cloud of comfortable Christianity. Yes, I love that. You know, as we just kind of glide through life.
0: Yeah,
1: I I think it deep in his heart, there is not Heavenly Father would want nothing more for us than to just be happy. When this life is over, he's going to wipe away all tears. And I love that that discussion in the scriptures, how it talks about that. And I can totally see us sitting on his lap and him literally wiping away our tears and and tears to never return. But we have to have the opposition now. Otherwise, we're not going to get back the way we need to. We're, We're supposed to get back like him, become like him through this process, through life. And if he takes away all the burden, it's not going to happen. Parents struggle with this all the time. You're, you're going to see, you see this now with your kids, they have struggles and you just want to run in there and clear the way and say, Man. okay, let me just, let me get out my parent parental bulldozer and just, you know, bulldoze that path. And oh, so yeah. you just have this Guilty, nice, for sure. exactly nice little sloping, gently sloping, um, downward, uh, path. So you can walk to college and, and to graduate school and to marriage and not have any trouble or problems. It's the worst thing you can do. It's the worst thing you can do because they're going to be completely uh, unprepared to deal with with struggles. You know, uh, how, how do you how do you sing like Carmen Herbert? Well, oh, I was just naturally born that way. I never had to take lessons. I never had to practice. Never had to do anything. That's ridiculous. You yep. know, you you have some natural talent for sure, but then you magnify that talent through a lot of hard work. Yes. Um. That that has enabled, that has made you excellent at yes. that. So, some people work hard and they never become excellent. Um, Some people have a lot of raw talent and never work hard and never become excellent either, but it's through the struggle that we gain the blessing. And so mental health is opposition. Mental health struggles is an opposition in our lives. And I think that we were talking earlier, uh, some people ask me, do I think mental health issues are more prominent now than they have been in the past? And I think that they probably are, Um, I think there's better outreach and and we're more willing to admit it as well. So I think that accounts for some of the kind of the increase in incidence rates. But I do think that we struggle more than we ever have. And the reason I think that, uh, I could be wrong about this, but the reason I think that is because Heavenly Father, we need something in the back of our pickup. We need some opposition. And... Instead of building log cabins and instead of going to war and those sort of things, you know, our generation or our children's generation really are going to be the ones that that becomes their burden and it's their blessing as well. And so instead of viewing mental health issues as this kind of, you know, parasite growth that we just need to get rid of, instead of saying, hmm, I wonder if this is Heavenly Father's way of teaching me things like faith and discipline and perseverance and, and positivity and those sort of things. And if I didn't have this nagging at me every single day, then I wouldn't even think about it. So viewing it as the vehicle to improve, um, as opposed to the curse to get rid of, I think makes a huge difference. Um, doesn't necessarily make it A ton easier to deal with, but it changes the focus of it. And then it's like, okay, I'm not just this, like I said, like this cursed individual who's been cursed with anxiety or depression. I'm this beloved child of Father in heaven who, in his wisdom, he said, you know what's going to be best for David is for him to struggle with anxiety or for him to struggle with depression, because through that, he's going to come to me. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And if men come unto me, then I will make weak things become strong unto them. I mean, that's what we're talking about.
0: Yes, and and I love that scripture so much. And he says, My grace is sufficient. Yeah. Like it it it's sufficient for you. I've often talked to my sister about this issue and with our kids and, and with the things that they struggle with and as like climbing up a mountain and, and some people yeah. just need a walking stick and some people are in gear. And they're on the other side, like literally climbing the mountain. And other people are on trails and we're all on different parts. We're all getting it to the top. Who knows when they'll converge? Some some may some may stay on the trail their whole life. And that was that was enough for them. Other people may be on the off-road the whole time, like with the gear, like they had it's so easy, you know, right. you just, but you never know how, how heavy their pack is. Like you just don't know what people are dealing with and what they're carrying and, and what their trial is. And I agree with you that we all need something to ultimately bring us closer to the savior. And it's unfortunate or, or maybe not unfortunate, but sometimes hard when it's the trials that are the ones that have to bring us closer to the savior and i've i've learned over and over again throughout my life that whatever trial i'm going through if i can be humble (laughs) it really does bring me closer to the savior and 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 it is hard and 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 i do cry a lot and i do ask for it to be taken away frequently but I also look back and at all of the blessings that come with that the outreach of, of love from family and friends the strength I find in myself answers to prayers that I might not have otherwise received and and I do end up saying oh that was that was necessary for my growth yeah. and I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity that I've had through trials to draw closer to my savior and I think that's really any trial in life being in a wheelchair like amazing Meg Johnson yeah. having mental illness the death of a loved one. Like these are all of the trials that we carry. And ultimately, Heavenly Father just wants us to say, just turn to me in every thought. Doubt not, which I think that could be associated with depression. Doubting and doubting, sure. yourself. doubting
1: yourself, yeah,
0: exactly. And fear not, anxiety, anxiety, being worried about everything. It's interesting that you can and look unto me in every thought with the obsessiveness and what's going to happen. I'm so worried about this and doing things, and it's nope. Focus on me. Don't doubt. Don't fear. Don't let depression and anxiety. I've overcome. I've, I've overcome the world.
1: That's right. And
0: that's the most reassuring thought to me is knowing that oh the savior has gone through all of that and, and he can help me go through it too. I'm, I'm so grateful, David, that you've taken time to come on this podcast today and where can people go to learn more about how they can have the gospel help them through what any mental challenge or, you know, whether it's lifelong or, 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 you know, just a temporary thing that they're working on right now.
1: Sure. So, um, the church has some great mental health resources on their website, and, and I, I apologize, I don't know the URL off the top of my head, but if you just went to their website and, and typed in mental health resources, there's a whole, a whole bunch of stuff there that is excellent. The church just came out with a new self-reliance course called Emotional Resilience, which I think is, I, I don't know if it's church-wide yet, it might just be rolling out in certain markets. But I, but the material is online. It is excellent. It is so good. Um, I actually just wrote a book on emotional resilience that's going to be published in the first of the year. And then after I was about halfway done with the book, discovered the church's stuff as well, which is okay. amazing. I have a website at uh, www.ldspsychologist.com. And there's links to a bunch of stuff there. I do a, a weekly um, thing called Mental Health Mondays, for Onward Productions, where I answer viewer questions about mental health issues. I think I just recorded the 40th one of those. There's a bunch oh, of wow. things, just a bunch of different questions answered awesome. there. Um, uh, some uh, blog posts that I write for LDS Living, and and things like that. Uh, 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 my books, podcasts I've been on, and stuff. So a lot of a lot of uh, resources there at LDSPsychologist.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. There are a lot of resources out there and I think that you would join me wholeheartedly in saying, please just reach out. Like if, if, yes. if you or a loved one is struggling, there is no shame in reaching out and getting help and, and help is possible. It is possible to to overcome and, and, and to deal with this in a healthy way. Even if it is something that, that is lifelong, you can live a full, happy, wonderful life. Even dealing with mental health issues, there's help available. Please don't hesitate to seek that out for yourself or a loved one there is always light there is always hope yeah. and I'm 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 grateful for you for sharing some of that with us today through the gospel of Jesus Christ and for all of the good you are doing thank you so much David
1: thank you Carmen Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen
0: Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family. From full length talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. Plus, you can get two months free when you
1: sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.